Well, we're coming to the end of a short series that we've been doing uh, just recently on prayer. It uh, started uh, a couple of weeks ago with our verse for the year, Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Continued last week with the sermon on Psalm 22, why does God seem silent when I pray? And tonight, Jeff will be looking at, is it wrong to argue with God? The topic of prayer is something we also looked at our church weekend last year, you may remember, uh, with Andy Upton. You may ask, well, why do we keep coming back to it? Well, our, our natural sinful tendency is not to pray, isn't it? You know, to trust in ourselves, to think, well, we don't need God unless there's a real emergency. We need reminders. Our Christian lives are full of the need for reminders. Remember, Jesus told us to celebrate his supper by taking bread and wine to to help us remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. The reason he told us to get baptised is because going under the water, coming out of the water, is a very strong visual reminder of what he's done for us. That uh, we have died to sin, we've been raised to new life in Jesus, we've been washed clean of our sins. And if in later life we do stray away, we can look back at that moment and remember, yes, he did wash me clean of my sins. He did give me new life. We need constant reminders as human beings. It's the same with prayer. I'm sure that if we kept prayer at the forefront of all that we did, both as individuals and as a church, our lives would be marked with a much greater joy, a greater peace, even in times of sadness. But we neglect prayer for a number of reasons. And I wonder whether one of those is that secretly we may think, well, what actually is really the point of praying? Particularly if you've gone through a time where you felt that God wasn't answering your prayers, and the apparent silence from God that we looked at last week in Psalm 22. Is he really in charge, you may have thought? Or maybe you thought, well, will my prayers actually change anything? Or you felt that, well, God is going to go and do what he wants to do anyway, so why even bother asking him? After all, it says in this passage here, your, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And if you want a simple answer to, to the question, why pray? Well, it would be simply because Jesus did. Because if there was anyone who had an excuse for not praying... It was him, wasn't it? After all, he knew what the will of God was. He was God. He had everything he needed to do his ministry. He was God. He didn't need to ask God for forgiveness. He was sinless. He didn't need to ask God to to help him to become more mature in his faith. He was perfect. He was incredibly busy. He spent the whole time of his ministry moving from from place to place, healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the good news of the the kingdom of God. And yet it says he still found time to pray. Mark 1, 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's not surprising if Jesus found it so important to speak to his Father, to pray, he would want his disciples to be able to to pray and enjoy that privilege as well. And so he gave them this model 
It's a model prayer which we call the Lord's Prayer. And he introduces it by saying in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. And as we look at this prayer together, hopefully we will learn what is the point of praying. And the first point I want to suggest, the first reason why we should pray, is to acknowledge God's power and God's love. Prayer starts with four very important words. Our Father in heaven. One of my boys got a bit confused when he was taught the traditional version in S Club and thought they were meant to say, Our Father who aren't in heaven. To put him right on that one. But we do pray these words so often, don't we? I wonder whether we really grasp the, the significance of what we are saying. Because those four words bring together two very powerful truths about God. That this God who is in heaven, who is over us, who has created us, who knows each one of us, this superior being is also our Father. It's easy to think of a Father, it's easy to think of somebody who is all-powerful, but to think of them as, as one and the same, combining both roles, is actually quite difficult, isn't it? I don't know whether you've read the book or whether you've seen the film, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. It's quite a clever book because it looks at um, uh, a Second World War theme of a concentration camp. And normally when we watch films about you know, concentration camp commandants, we usually just see one aspect of their personalities, don't we? the fact that they are um, overseeing this, this, awful, this awful work of, of sending people to their death. But in this book, it is saying that well, probably many of these senior Nazi officers would also have been husbands and fathers as well. And how do you combine those two very different roles? You know, somebody who uses his power for evil purposes, the murder of innocent Jews with someone who also loves his nine-year-old son. I won't spoil the ending, but somehow you know it's not going to be a happy ending, don't you? God is different because he is all-powerful, but he's also very perfectly loving. And that's a very different combination. If we don't think God is all-powerful, then there's no point in worshipping him. If we don't think he was capable of making this world and, and everything in it, if we don't think he's capable of sustaining this world, then he can't really be God. And there isn't any point in praying to him. He's a powerless God. To pray is to remind ourselves that he is all-powerful. But it's not enough to pray to a God who is only all-powerful, because why would he listen to us? You know, Why would he be interested in us? How would... We dare come into his presence if he was somebody who wielded his power in a, a random way. It would be like Esther, who we looked at last term in the, in the evenings, coming into the presence of the, the king, who happened to be her husband, and who had the power to sentence her to death, simply for daring to come into his presence. How we dare come into the presence of a God who is all-powerful, but not all-loving? We'd probably think we had to maybe somehow pass some entrance tests to get in to, to see him. Or maybe if we did certain things, maybe if we prayed five times a day, then we would earn ourselves the right to be heard by him. 
But Jesus introduces this prayer with, with the words, Our Father. Now, he could have said, Our King in Heaven. He could have said, Almighty God, which are both ways of addressing God. But here he says, Our Father in Heaven. And the reason he does that is because the relationship with a father is very different from the relationship with a king. Yes, we are expected to treat our fathers with respect, but there's a greater confidence, a greater, a greater trust coming from that greater closeness that we have with, with a father. I've got a photo I wanted to show here, which I think I might have to go back a couple of slides, which I think I might have shown before. Um, it's when I was working in Brazil, and... Um, if somebody came to visit me, a client uh, or somebody else, you know, the normal process would be that you'd make an appointment and they'd come in and they'd sit down in front of the desk and we would have a, a business conversation. It was a business relationship. But when my children came to see me, you know, they wouldn't have to sort of uh, convince my secretary of, of the merits of them seeing me. They wouldn't have to sit across the desk in chairs. They could come and be welcomed as a father welcomes his children. It's a different relationship. And that is the same with prayer, if we're praying to a father. And the reason that we are able to call him father, the reason we have direct access to God in heaven, is because of the son. He's the one who's opened up that access to him. It's because he's dealt with the obstacle that was in the way of us and the father, our sin. It's because he took the punishment for our sin that our guilt is taken away and we are free to come into the presence of God and call him Father. So simply by the act of praying, we are remembering the great privilege that we have to come to God in prayer. In the same way that if we don't think God is all-powerful, there's no point in praying. There's also no point in praying if we think God is not interested in us or doesn't care for us. The good news is that he does care. And to pray is to acknowledge God's power and his love. What else is a reason for praying? Well, by calling God Father, we are acknowledging that we are his children. Children are dependent on their parents. They're called dependents. And as we acknowledge God as Father, we acknowledge that we are dependent on him. And our whole faith is about coming to God, coming to God in humility, coming to him in dependence, acknowledging that he is a creator, but he's also a redeemer. And our prayer life is an expression of that, that submission to God. The time we spend in prayer is a, is a good indicator of our dependence on God. A lack of prayer life indicates a strong self-sufficiency which is not spiritually healthy. It's not enough to simply say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. If we were to say, Jesus, well, thanks very much for saving me, but um, you know, I'll be okay now, I'll, uh, I'll see you later. What sort of trust is that? Trusting in Jesus is trusting that he will provide for you every day of your life. It's acknowledging that we are needy, that apart from him... We can do nothing, not only for our own salvation, but for our daily living. 
In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is this fruit that we can bear if uh, he is in us and we are in him? What is the most important thing that God wants us to do? Well, have a look at the next three lines of the the Lord's Prayer, there in verse 9 and 10. Very familiar words to us. We'll have said them many times. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three requests to do with God's glory. The first is that his name would be hallowed. It's a funny word, hallowed, isn't it? But basically it means to treat as holy. Ultimately it means to, to worship. So we are praying that God would be worshipped by the people he has made, and yet the same people who have rebelled against them, which includes ourselves, people who have rebelled against God. We may have committed our lives to him, but whilst we live here on earth, there will be lots of things vying for our worship, trying to take us away from our worship of God. And interestingly enough, it's what we pray for in private that that often reveals what is most important to us, what we really worship. If we're not praying, and suddenly there is something that, that is important to us, that is at risk, and we start praying, but when that risk goes away, well, we stop praying again, as if that was the only thing worth praying for. And what does that say to us about what we worship? This prayer starts with the words, hallowed be your name, because it's saying you are the one I worship. Having you as my father means that I have everything I need, even if everything else were taken away from me, which sadly is the case for many Christians in the world. It's saying I still have you and I want to enjoy you as my father. Hallowed be your name. And that is why we, when we have prayer meetings here on a, a Thursday evening, we don't just launch into prayer with a whole long shopping list. We have a short devotional. And it's only a short one. It's not a major sermon, if that's putting you off from, from coming. It's a short devotional just to remind ourselves who it is we're praying to. Just to help us to enjoy him, to enjoy God. <coughs> Hallowed be your name leads into your kingdom come. We pray that we would worship God. We pray also that others would worship him. That they would turn from their their own ways and turn to him as the one true God. And so we pray for our community, pray for our country, pray for the world, but we also pray for individuals we know who have not submitted their lives to Christ. We pray that they would know the joy of what it means to have God as your Father, to be part of his family. And I know that many of you have been praying for people dear to you, day in, day out, for for years. As people are converted, as people accept God's kingship, his kingdom will grow. His will will be done in the same way that it's done in heaven, where he already reigns, where the heavenly beings bow down to him. 
And another way in which his kingdom will come is for those of us who have already submitted our lives to him to to grow in our faith, to, to allow him to reign over even more aspects of our lives. But of course, when we pray for his kingdom to come, we are also praying for the final victory when all his enemies will be defeated, when he will take his people to live in a new, recreated earth, where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more death, where there will be no more crying. The thing about prayer is that it is not simply a set of instructions to God. When we pray these words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not simply saying to God, look, God, go and do all you need for your kingdom to come. Just go and sort it out. You can do it. You're all powerful. And what we're saying when we pray these words is we're saying, you are the one I want to serve. How can I serve you in order for your kingdom to come? The fruit that Jesus referred to when he said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, is the fruit that comes from our service. We are praying that he would empower us to serve him. If we are Christians here this morning, what is the point in our lives if we don't want to be useful to him? In whatever situation that he's placed us, to whatever ministry he's called us, And the great encouragement to those of you who may feel frustrated that you're no longer able to to do what you used to do is that you are still able to do the most valuable ministry of them all and that is to pray. I know that um, we have so much to pray for that it can become a daunting task, can't it? But if that is the case for you, can I just suggest that maybe you take an interest in a particular ministry in the church. If you're not able to physically help yourself, maybe your interest is in Christianity Explored. If you said to me, I'd like to commit to pray for you every week when this course starts up and before we, I'd love that, you know. Maybe it's in another ministry, maybe it's something like Adventurers. I'm sure Val would love to, to give you the regular prayer needs of Adventurers for you to commit to praying for that group. There are plenty of ministries that need our prayers. The greatest thing that God wants for us and the greatest thing that we can receive from him is to be able to completely trust in him. And that is why we pray, your will be done. When we think of what uh, Paddy and Claire have been through, when we think of what Mark and Karen and the rest of the family are going through now. That is an incredibly difficult thing to pray. Because it's saying, however difficult it may be for me, that I want to trust in you. I want to trust in your perfect plans. And of course, we have one who went through that same anguish, don't we? What Jesus said to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said this, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, Unless I drink it, may your will be done. He was saying, this is an awful thing for me to have to go through, but I will do whatever is necessary for your will to be done, even if it means giving up my life. And to be able to pray that, 
is to know that we do have a loving father who wants to provide for his children, who knows what is best for his children. And he's also a powerful God who is able to provide for his children. It's to know that we have everything we need in him. We have a relationship with our Father. Our eternal security is there. And that's why Jesus says it's important to pray for things that might undermine that confidence, that trust in God. Where sin creeps in, we need to go to God and ask him to to forgive us. Forgive us our debts, it says here, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Make us aware of our sins, we're saying here. Forgive us our sins. Make us more like Christ. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't let anything come in the way of our relationship with you. Don't allow me to be tempted to worship something else. Because that's what the evil one will be trying to do. Don't allow him to be successful, Father. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit to be able to withstand his attacks. The final point in praying, and much shorter, is to acknowledge God's generous provision. As we look at this this model prayer, I wonder whether you can see just how it's to do with our relationship with God. It's only when that is right, when our worship of God is, is right, that our petitions, our requests then fall into place. Because as Jesus says here, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we don't come to God in prayer. We don't come to pray to let him know our needs. We pray to acknowledge that he is the one who is able to meet those needs. We come to demonstrate our dependence on him. And it's interesting that off the Lord's Prayer here, there's only one line that actually covers our needs. Give us today our daily bread. Not just a prayer for food, a prayer for our daily concerns, a prayer that we would also not worry about them because God promises to take care of them. A lot of you will, as we were praying earlier, be worrying about your jobs. Will I still have a job next week? What then will happen about the the mortgage? God wants us to pray for his strength, his protection, that he will relieve us of our worries and anxieties. And having committed ourselves to, to serve him in the coming of his kingdom, it's also a prayer that he will provide us for whatever we need in order to be able to do that. Prayer is a real privilege. It brings joy to the one praying. It brings glory to God because he longs to give his children so many good gifts, what they need. He's not a reluctant giver. He, he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to know that we need his strength in order to do so. Well, as I come to to an end. How do we take an example of things that we are praying for in the church at the moment? Take an example like the building project where we've been asked to pray but we don't know exactly maybe what we should be praying for. How do we take that and pray for it according to this model that that Jesus has given us? Well, let me just make some suggestions here. 
I think first of all, remember the reason why we are planning to do it. It is so that God's name will be hallowed. It is so that through the work of the church, others will know the joy of being part of God's kingdom. So that we won't be forced to to turn people away. People won't be discouraged from coming because there's, there's no place for them. Secondly, to ask God for what we need in order to be able to to do the project, the funds to pay for it, the people to manage it, the skills to design it, the approvals for it to go ahead. But I think most of all, remembering that this prayer is an expression of our faith in God, pray that in the process of this project and the future growth of the church, that we would grow in our own faith that we would trust God even more than we do now. And maybe God's timing is deliberate that we're doing this in the middle of a recession. Maybe he's doing that to demonstrate to us that he's in control of what goes on in the world. Think of the dangers to our faith from the project. Forgiveness. Maybe we need to ask God's forgiveness if in the process we fall out with people if we don't listen to people because we're convinced of our own ideas, if we put other things before God's kingdom, if we worry about our own comfort more than other people's salvation. And finally, to ask God for protection against the evil one, that he won't divide us, that he won't damage our relationship with God or with each other. To pray, we need to know God. The more we pray, the better we will know God. The better we know God, the more we will want to pray. To pray is to express our faith that God is in charge and to express our desire for his name to be honoured. And it's to commit ourselves to do our bit in making that happen. I'm just going to pray this prayer now and I'm going to stop after each line and just allow you time to pray your own prayers to God. Whatever is most appropriate for you at that particular point. Let's let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors.
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.